0: to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. I'm, I'm going to be reading this from the English Standard Version here, um, but my guess is if you have this psalm memorized, that's not the translation you memorized it in. Um, there's a lot of rich truth in this psalm that we love. I'm just going to read the whole thing, but we are going uh, to be focusing in on Uh, verses 5 and 6 today. So let's read God's word together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for providing inspired words for us to pray back to you. Lord, thank you for teaching us the kinds of thoughts and prayers that we are to Express to you and what we can ask you to do and what we can be confident that you will do in our lives. Lord, help us to understand them more deeply today and, and Lord, cause us to make available the, the the areas and the conditions of our hearts that are most in need of these truths. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Um, well obviously, Psalm 23 is a loved psalm and it is Quoted often, it is shared in a variety of settings, and now you guys have been studying it for for several weeks. Uh, I don't know if, if too many people really appreciate, though, what this psalm implies about us, uh, because if, if God is going to take the role of the shepherd, uh, we get to take the role of sheep, and if you've spent any time around sheep, they're not particularly impressive. They tend to smell very strange. I'm not saying that about anybody here. Uh, They're not known for being incredibly intelligent animals, and and they are easily confused, easily lost. Um, I'm speaking from Google experience, not from being a shepherd myself. Uh, But uh, there's just this condition of need that is highlighted, And, and, and there's a tone of need that runs throughout this psalm. We need someone else. We need a shepherd. And so this is not a celebration of self-competency or self-sufficiency. We, we don't come to the end of the psalm looking capable and impressive. And, and, and that, that's challenging. That's challenging uh, for us. It, it's, it's easy to accept that as a concept or a, a Bible verse, uh, but we don't like what it feels like when we're confronted with our neediness. You know, those of you ha- who've uh, cared for I think that's happening over there, so I don't know. God has descended upon our gathering today. Let me uh, let me just make sure that's not this thing here. Uh, if you cared for aging parents, um, you, you know that pride and independence isn't something that just all of a sudden disappears as physical incapacity and limitations set in. They, they don't like to feel out of control, uh, to feel dependent on others to feel incapable of doing something for themselves and that creates all kinds of conflicts as you're trying to step in and bring some order and parameters to uh, the day and how you're caring for them Uh, but but no matter your age you know all of us we 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 don't like we don't naturally highlight our deficiencies Uh, we don't like situations and circumstances that make us feeling weak that make us feel like I just, I'm, I'm unable to handle the basic realities of my life. But what we'll find out from our, our text today is that need is actually the prerequisite for a life that glorifies God. It, it, it is the starting point for the good life. Humility is the highway to joy. And so... God wants to give us that gift today. It's the shepherd's delight to be sufficient for his sheep. And I'm just going to look at this, these two verses from, from two points. And the first is that the shepherd satisfies us in unlikely times. Sorry, you, you get this imagery here. It says, you prepare a table. And, and And, you know, the metaphors have shifted a little bit. You don't necessarily picture of sheep sitting down at at a table and so the, the, the picture that should come to mind is that of a feast and it says you anoint my head with oil and sometimes people wonder what what exactly is that communicating? Again, maybe is it, is it the oil that is used for sheep when, when their wounds are, are needing care? Uh, could it be the, a reference point for uh, David being anointed as, as king and the oil that's used there? Uh, the language of anointing is, is often used in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. Um, but what's, what's probably in mind here is be, before certain festivals, be, 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 before certain special dinner occasions the the host would anoint the guests head with oil as a way of, as a way of preparing them for the meal you, you, you see that you know Jesus implies that in Luke chapter 7 verse 46 when uh, the the woman comes in to to wash his feet and one of the things he says is you did not he's saying this to the the the, the host Simon who's complaining about this he says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And, and, and so, you know, what Jesus' comment clues us in to something that was a cultural reality, and, and so what we're supposed to picture, and I don't want us to move past this quickly, is that this is a feast, and God is the host, and you and I are the guests. He sets the table, and we come empty-handed. And don't ever think that it's the other way around. That in worship, we bring something to God. All right. Let me say this in a way that will sound radical and it'll sound almost wrong, uh, but it's been on my, my heart this week. Uh, I shared something similar with the youth on, on Wednesday night, but, it, but it's this. And th- this might have to adjust... A, a history of Christian thinking for you, but it's this. We do not serve God. God serves us. Right? And, and that's not just me saying that. that, that Jesus says that in, uh, you know, when he says, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And, and that's obviously true in the incarnation. That's clear but but the reason why Jesus is like that is because God is like that and and that's the whole thrust of the gospel it is God stepping in to serve it doesn't begin with a help wanted ad and this is what the apostle Paul says in acts chapter 17 verse 24 the god who made the world and everything in it being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man he, he's, he's in the city of Athens, and he's adjusting the religious assumptions of the day and how they would treat their idols. And he says in verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And, and I, I want us to to, to feel this because... There's another psalm that addresses this. Apparently, at some point in Israel's history, that's exactly what they had begun to believe about God, that they were coming to serve him, that in their offerings, they were coming to feed him. And I just keep keep a finger in Psalm 23, but flip over to Psalm chapter 50. I just want to stop here quickly on our way. And this is what the Lord says in Psalm 50, verse eight. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Right, this is actually a period in Israel's history where they are bringing the sacrifices. Right, you're familiar with the, the history of the Old Testament. There were just pockets of time where that was totally neglected. Or they just even forgot there was such a thing as Passover. Uh, So this is a moment in time. They're they're showing up. They're showing up on time for church. They're there, you know, when the music is playing. They're singing. They're bringing their offering before God. They say, that's not why I I fault you. But then he says in verse 9, I will not accept a bull from your house or, or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine the cattle on a thousand hills i know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine if i were hungry i would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine do i eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats you know israel is being influenced by these surrounding pagan nations and their ideas which is that you you when you bring an offering To your deity, he eats a portion of the offering. Now that wouldn't really happen, so you kind of have to cross your fingers and pretend that's what's happening as you eat the meal. Uh, But the the idea is he gets pleased with the offering that you bring, he gets a full belly, and now he kind of owes you and blesses you, and so now he's going to make sure that your crops are fruitful and your family stays healthy and all of your business transactions go in your favor because... You know, it's kind of a tit-for-tat relationship. You do something for God in your worship and in your offering, and now he'll do something for you as well. And and they thought they were doing that with Yahweh. They thought they were bringing something that provided for him and put him on the hook to bless them. Now, now let's not just let this sit in the ancient world because we can do the exact same thing. And sometimes... We think that we're doing God a favor with our obedience. And when things don't go our way, that's when we complain. You know, it's like, well, after all I've done, after the way that I've cared for my family, after all the quiet times I've had this week, the, you know, this is how it's going to turn out. The, the assumption behind that is if, if I have lived in a way that I think meets God's expectations and demands, that's when he will bless me and bring his favor in my life. But that totally flips everything upside down. Whatever's happening when we worship and obey God, it is not meeting some kind of need that he has. Because he has no needs. He did not make the world because he was lonely and wanted somebody to talk to. Um, The Trinity was perfectly fine without looking for any additional members. Uh, For all eternity, they had all the friends that they could ever want in the perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in creating us, in saving us, that's not fulfilling some emotional lack in God. That is God filled to the brim and spilling over and sharing himself with others. And that is exactly what God delights to do. And if that's the case, what do we mean when we say that we glorify God? What does that mean? Are we adding something to God? Adding more glory to him? What kind of worship is pleasing to him? Well, look what the next verse says in verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. it's really easy to to read past that, and that's where uh, having a study Bible can help you because the ESV study Bible says this, the psalm then turns to the right use of sacrifices, focusing on the sacrifice of thanksgiving and vows. These were both kinds of peace offerings, which was the only kind of sacrifice in which the worshiper ate some of the sacrificial animal. Its primary function was to eat a meal in company with the sacrificer's family and the needy, with God as the host. And now we're back in Psalm 23. You prepare a table for me. God loves it when we see worship as feasting. He has spread a table before us. He's the source and the supply, and what he wants is for us to come hungry, which is another way of saying come hungry dependent come messy come desperate for him and this is what honors him look at verse 15 perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble i will deliver you and you shall glorify me you see the connection there i'll step in and save the day And that's what glorifies me, right? In scripture, to glorify God is not to bring to him something that he lacked, but to receive from him what only he can give, and that's good news. God is not looking for us to to pay him back or help him out. He is looking to be your deliverer. I know, here's my question for you and my question for me do you see God in that way? Or are you more aware of his expectations and his demands and this sense of, I, I don't know if I can keep up, right? Life today feels exhausting for everyone, no matter what. And you know life today feels exhausting. And sometimes, you know, we're aware of this as pastors because we want to preach from the Bible and and call people to live a life that's pleasing to God and that's faithful and, and that is honoring what God uh, tells us to do. And and it can seem like we are just laying upon people more stuff to keep up with and manage. And oh, I'm supposed to be praying too. And oh, I'm supposed to share the gospel. I, don't, I haven't done that in like three years. Um, and, and then on top of that, I'm supposed to care for my family. I'm supposed to Uh, be diligent to do this and and you can begin to see the character of God in a way that he's just issuing demands that are exhausting rather than inviting you come call on me in the day of trouble I, I want you to feel like you're at the end of yourself I want you to feel like you have exhausted your resources so that I can be your source and I can be your supply and that's the exact that is going to glorify me. Sam Storm says, the God of the Bible is the the kind of God whose greatest delight comes not from making demands, but from meeting needs. God is always the giver, and we are always the getters. God is most glorified not when we bring our contribution, but when we bring our need. John Piper gives the illustration like this of what does it mean to glorify God? Um, and you can, you can picture it, and I think we have this tendency to see it in this way. If you think of a watering trough, you know, this, this basin um, that people can drink out of, and, and that's always needing to be refilled. And, and so we, we can think that with our, our songs of praise and our obedience and our faithfulness, we're, we're bringing our bucket of water and pouring it into the basin Here, I'm I'm worshiping God, I'm I'm glorifying God in this way. God God is not the watering trough. Piper says, God God is the mountain spring. God is this unending source. Uh, You know, the the streams of water that Psalm 23 talks about, they're always flowing, always available, and, and what God wants us to bring, God is pleased with the one thing that we have to offer, which is our thirst and that's how he desires us to come and and Psalm 23 is a psalm for the thirsty and the good news is that it says my cup overflows are you are you aware of that or does life feel drained and empty it's so easy for us to become out of touch with the heart of God and what he desires for us to experience and, and sometimes the settings of life can make this really challenging to see which is why I, I love the reality that's in this psalm because rejoicing rejoicing shows up at the most unlikely of times he says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies now you just ate a meal i, I hope you weren't praying that psalm as you sat down with the people around you it's like psalm 23 was was for a day like this uh, well what 's this talking about? You know again, different commentators understand different things here Some, some, some see it as a picture of uh, after a battle the enemies they 're kind of held captive and, and all they can do is look on with longing as we share a victorious meal. Uh, maybe again the the shepherding imagery of of the shepherd is among the sheep as they feed and and the uh, opposing Predators, they have to stay back because he's there with his his club. But, but one way or another, there, there's this awareness of the reality and the presence of enemies. And yet, there's feasting. I, I love the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. And uh, there's this really memorable scene in, in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, where the white witch, she finds this, this family of animals that are gathered around the table, and, and despite the fact that they're in the middle of, of winter, they're, they're eating and they're celebrating the lion Aslan's return. And she interprets it as an act of war, because they are feasting in celebration of the one they have pledged their allegiance to. Listen, when we feast in joy, We declare that God has conquered, that his salvation is sweet, that he is the delight of our lives, and we do it in the face of the enemies that surround us. And God is pleased, and we are full. Timothy and Kathy Keller, they have a little devotional called The Songs of Jesus that I recommend any of you pick up if you want to work through the Psalms um, in a daily devotional. But they write, God has a celebration meal with us, not after we finally get out of the dark valley, but in the middle of it, in the presence of our enemies. He wants us to rejoice in him in the midst of our troubles. Is our shepherd out of touch with reality? Hardly. Jesus is the only shepherd who knows what it is like to be a sheep. He has walked through the valley with us as he leads us. And he invites us in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of whatever trials of life, whatever opposing voices are surrounding you and and presenting rumors of defeat, you sit with him and you feast. And, and let's be the kind of people that have this demeanor. We, we live in troubling times. We live in a disturbing world that opposes us. Let us out rejoice them. Let, let, let us have a, a, a joy that declares battle on this world because our shepherd is with us. Let's not go around like we have empty cups when they are overflowing. All right, our final Point Here from verse six is that the shepherd pursues us all the way to eternity. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, when, when I used to hear this when I, you know, I grew up in church, so uh, I can remember thinking that was like three things, sure, surely, comma, goodness, comma, and mercy— and honestly, I think I heard that as surely, goodness and mercy. Like there was this lady named Shirley who was going to follow you uh, all the days of your life. Uh, the word surely there, right, it's, it's the adverb and it's, it's saying you can say this with confidence. You can be sure of this no matter what you see, no matter the valleys, no matter the enemies. You know that God's goodness and his mercy are following you. And the, and the word for mercy there, it's the, it's the Hebrew verb chesed, which is hard to say after you've eaten lunch because uh, it's got that ch in it. But uh, it's, the, it's the word for God's covenant loyalty. It's his loving kindness. It, it, there, there, there's this steadfast love, there's something persistent about it. It's God's determination to show us kindness, not based on anything. In us, and honestly, translating that that it's going to follow us is probably a little weak because the 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 verb that's used there it, it, it doesn't mean that it trails behind us, trying to keep up, possibly getting lost along the way uh, it, its It's a verb that means to pursue to seek to overtake it 's often used in the language of battle it 's the same verb that's used. When, when Pharaoh and his chariots pursued Israel up until the Red Sea, trying to cut them off at the pass. And this is interesting. David says, it's as if Yahweh has his two special agents. He sends out tov, goodness, and chesed, faithful love. And these agents are in pursuit of David, seeking to overtake him, waylay him, and dog his tracks all the days of his life. But who needs to fear such beloved denizens? Here's a a thought that came to mind for me. Um, Several years back, I was driving on the North Shore. This is one of those illustrations that are always dangerous to share because it can totally remove... Any confidence that people have in your leadership ability. So, but I'll, I'll just still take the risk. Uh, I, I'm driving uh, on the North Shore and, and heading toward the, uh, the causeway, and at, at some point, the you know you're on you're on a highway, and then and the speed limit just shifts down all of a sudden. So it drops you know, it's from 70 miles an hour to 50. Uh, I'm still going 70 miles an hour, blissfully unaware of the speed limit, and uh, there's a there's a car that's behind me. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's a big vehicle, and it's coming, like, right up on, on the rear of my car. And I'm thinking, wow, I, you know, I'm going 70 miles an hour. I don't know why they're, they're, you know, riding up on my back like this. And so I kind of speed up a little bit more, and then I shift lanes over, and that car shifts right behind me as well. Uh, and then it puts on lights. It was an unmarked uh, police vehicle. It pulls me over. Uh, off to the side of the road, and, uh, and, and, and I rolled down my window, and he's like, so why were you going 80 and a 50, and all of a sudden speeding up and shifting lanes when I was following you? And I was like, I, I, I thought you were just some car trying to pass me, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and, and then, he, you know, I hand him license, registration, proof of insurance, all that stuff, and then he hands it back to me and says, uh, you're going 30 miles an hour over the speed limit, you don't need this ticket. And then lets me go. Um, and and if you want to carry the illustration further, and I've heard I've heard um, one pastor put it like this. Imagine if in that moment he said, um, you know, the hotel you just came from, they wanted me to catch up with you because you lost your wallet. And he hands that over, and he says, in, in, in fact, th- they wanted to let you know that. Um, the, the sweepstakes that you had registered for at the hotel, you were the winner of that, and then you, know, you, you get some extra gift or trip or, or reward out of it. But, but the, the, the one who was trying to overtake you, who was hounding you down, and, and you get pulled over thinking you're about to get hit with a big fine, and, and your guilty conscience is going in that moment, is there not only to set you free, but to bless you. And to show you undeserved reward. And that's what God does in our lives. He's persistent all the days of our lives. To show us good. Even when we were running from him. He hounded us down to bless us. And it races after us all the days. All the way into eternity. And that's where this psalm lands. Right, I, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will take you. All the way home. And literally, uh, this means in death. And we do a lot of funerals around here. And uh, that is sobering. But it is a a rich privilege as a church to help believers die well and then to care for families in their grief. Because we, we have this confidence. He is our shepherd, even into our death and into all eternity. As Paul says in Romans 14, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. And of course, this just means more than life after death. This extends to the house of the Lord stands in place for the new heaven and the new earth, the renovated creation in which we will dwell. And here's the question. Why do we want that? Why would we want to live in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever heard of that popular Christian song that says it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, big, big yard to play football, right? Is, is that what we're after? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gonna be spacious. I'm gonna finally get my mansion. It's about time, right? You know, uh, there's no sickness and, and, and no sorrow and no more death and, and, and no pesky neighbors. And, you know, uh, are those the things that excite us about the house of the Lord? Uh, well, the house of the Lord, that, that phrase that David is using here, it referred to the temple, and the temple was God's dwelling place. And what makes the house of the Lord so special is that the Lord of the house is there. And that's what arrested David's heart. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? Why do you want to do that, David? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that is what glorifies God. And that is what satisfies us. So this, this psalm ends where it began, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, he, he will be sufficient for me, he will be everything that I need and I will dwell securely in the Lord's house. He, he will be all I need for all eternity. And so coming to the end of this psalm, Del, Del Ralph David says, Now one can look back over the journey. The grassy pastures may be the normal place. The valley of the shadows, the fearful place. In front of the enemies, the dangerous place. And the house of Yahweh, the abiding place place and christ leads us in and to them all and so now you must go back to the beginning what position have you taken only if yahweh jesus is your shepherd can you say i will never lack anything in ordinary times in fearful times in dangerous times or at the last time and i just want to Take us into a glimpse of the last time. Revelation 7:17. 7, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb is the shepherd. And what will he do? He will guide them to springs of living water. He's the mountain spring from which we will drink for all eternity. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is good news and reason for joy and confidence every day of this short life that we live on this earth. Um, I'm going to close this in, in prayer and then just give you some quick instruction from there. Lord, we do not deserve this kindness. The personal love and care that you have for our lives lord how you desire to meet every need and bring us your presence god if if it were up to us we'd still be on the run we would still be caught up in our delusions and chasing little trinkets and thrills and running away from mercy but god thank you that you have overtaken us you have shown us good All the days of our lives. And I know there have been some hard days. But I don't doubt that some here are living in some hard days right now. And thank you that you will shepherd them through it all. And into all eternity. God receive our joy. Receive glory from our lives as we come to you. And look to you for everything that we need. In the name of our shepherd Jesus we pray. Amen, amen. Um, Well, there are some questions at uh, the back of your notes for y'all to just have a little conversation with one another at your tables for a little bit. Um, And then if you weren't here earlier, we announced that the schedule's changed a little bit. So November 3rd is gonna be the next meeting. um, And that will wrap up the series then. And then you'll still have on the 10th um, the floral arrangement class. Uh, uh, October 27th and 28th is our women's conference and all of you are invited to to participate in, in that. All right, thank you so much for having me today. It's always a joy to come and speak to you.